I read it and have actually started to read it again. And so I mean, I've got some point. I, mean, I actually I got a lot out of this. Surprisingly, well, I didn't think I would. I'm so happy because it's so old, you know. So I'm going to start just so uh, we'll get people that have, that add on to the call. Uh, welcome to our last book club call of the year. I hope everyone enjoyed it this year. I still hear from many people and see a lot of people at ICSE. Um, I think the winner, we should probably do a, a survey monkey, but I think the winner still um, was Greg Voss's book, which is the first one of the year, which was um, uh, Never Split the Difference. And you know, and it was a book on negotiating. And I, I, I definitely, I don't know, Josie, if you're listening, but I, I know she's, I think, with her son today on at field day. But I think we'll do a field, a, a, a survey monkey to find out what was what everyone's favorite book was. So, um, but this is the last book of the month of the year, and it's one of my favorites that I loved for many, many, many years. And as I started to reread it and listen to it, I thought, oh, people are going to hate me that I picked this because it's so old. You know, they, the, the book, the author is talking about the success of Sears and, um, you know, all of this, like, you know, the, what's, what's hot in the 90s. So I, um, I do apologize that it is so old, but there are books like Think and Grow Rich, you know, that are old, or um, the, uh, the one about war. What's the one about war? Art of um, War. Yeah, Art of War that are really, really, really old. So I, I was hoping, and, and Greg and I were talking before the call, I'm, I was hoping that you all would would forgive me and keep listening because I do believe that there are a lot of really powerful things in this book. And the reason, not only did I want to pick it because it's one of my all-time favorites, I wanted to pick it because especially, which I kind of ignore a lot, not on purpose, but you know, you tenant rep folks that are on the phone, you know, you, you sell a service. Right? I mean, us project leasing people, at least we have real estate to sell. But you tenant rep people, you're selling you and you're selling a service. And that's what I love about this book is it's teaching, you know, selling the invisible, which is selling the service versus the product. So um, Greg was just telling me, I said, I'm so sorry, the book was, it's kind of old. And he's like, no, I'm, I got a lot out of it. So, Greg, thank you so much because you, you made me feel good at the start of the call. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it, it definitely resonates. And, I mean, it's actually interesting. They do talk about Sears, but they also talk, with it, talk about the downfall of Sears. So it's actually kind of very prophetic in that, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. The lack of focus, right? He talks about how they, how they are doing, how they're adding, besides just clothing, right, how they added the linens or the home the home, the furniture, and, you know, all these other product, products and how they got away from their focus and what started the downfall. But, yeah, exactly. So, and, and again, I, I am, people have been asking me, are you going to do it again next year? I definitely am because I promised all of you, some, those of you that encouraged me to, re, you know, to reboot the um, book club, which we had started back in the recession, and I gave it up after a year because I was basically talking to myself and no one was participating. And I, I promised if, if you guys would jump in and 
and give comments every once in a while and then participate, even if you didn't read the book, but if we throw out a topic and it relates to what we do as leasing folks or people in investment sales and commercial real estate, then you know I would love to do it. So I very much enjoyed it, and I thank you all for the 12 months that you, I think we canceled once because I hated the book. I couldn't get through it. But I loved how we've all, um, how we've all, uh, how you guys have participated and you know, given your thoughts and given your comments because I think it's important to not just hear my voice. And I think it's been fun this year also that we've been able to have authors on the call and, and going into next year for sure that will be the continued focus. Every time I can get an author to speak, I will. Um, we have this special, special announcement in February. Uh, we have a new book that actually just came out this week. I don't know if you all had heard of it or not, and the author will be on the call. Uh, mm. Giggle, giggle. So um, now this yeah. is my book. That's just, we just got it. So we'll be shipping it out for those of you that uh, purchased a copy. Thank you so much. And the author, me, will be speaking about my book in February. So we, uh, we originally had it in January, and, and Josie said, well, you've got to give them time to read it. It's not that big of a book, so it's going to take you guys like an hour to get through. But, um, but thank you all for the support, and it's been, it was on my bucket list for 14 years to write it, and I'm very excited. So, um, but let's jump into Selling the Invisible. By, by Harry Beckwith. And again, if you started reading it and you thought, gosh, this is like from you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I encourage you to keep reading and finish it because I do think, like Greg said earlier, um, there's some nuggets in there. So, um, so they talk about how service is number one. And, it, and it's very interesting how you're, when you're reading this book, social media didn't exist. And, um, and the entire time they're talking about service and familiarity and, um, and you know, getting your name out there and how, how, what your brand is. And the entire thing, as you're reading it into, in 2018, you're like, wow, this, this, social media was the answer to a lot of this for a lot of companies, and, 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 and un, except for our, our industry. Right? Our industry is so far behind with, with adapting and, and adopting social media. I think yeah. our industry is using it as advertising instead of brand building. And I'm hoping that in 2019 that that changes just for the individuals on these calls because we keep talking about it. You know, social media is not about, oh, here's my latest listing. Right? Social media needs to be about who you are as an individual and what service you're providing because that's how you're going to get more business. So I hope that that is something that all of you are um, going to be you know, focused on and I'm going to see a lot more of that in 2019. And if anyone offline wants to send me a note and say how you know, can I do this better, just send me a note and I'm happy to chat with you guys. So, um, so they talk about how service uh, is, is number one, and, and he, he gives some things to, uh, some homework. So he says, assume that your service is bad, and how, what can you do to improve it, or what can you do to differentiate it? And I thought that's interesting, because, you know, with ego and confidence, we always think, well, you know, our service is good. But the question is, is to do some homework 
you know, what if our service was bad? What could we do better or differently? So for tenant rep brokers, could, you know, how could we improve our service? If we, come from, if we start with the homework of the point, my service is bad. So I liked that. I thought that was, would be a good exercise. Um, you know, he talks about who do we serve. And, you know, always like in, in project leasing, we serve the tenants, we serve the market, we serve the owner, we serve our, our broker. There's, you know, there's many, many, many people we serve, and that can be very confusing, and you, can have, and you, you will probably need to create or perform a different service for the different clients and different customers, right? And that's hard. And he, and he talks about ways to go about that. He says, who is setting your standards? Are your clients setting your standards? Are you setting your standards? Is your industry setting your standards? And then he, then he wrote, is your ego setting your standards? Which I was like, wow, that's, that's very interesting. But who's setting your standards? And, and are you doing things because the guy, you know, the competitor is doing it like that? And do you have like a gut instinct of, I think I could do this differently and better. And it's different. But no one's ever done it like this before. Try it. You never know, you know, what, what, might, what might impact your business or your industry, right? He says, can you write an ad for your service? Another exercise, write an ad for your service. He says, and, and I thought that that's, that was pretty cool. Like if you're a tenant rep broker, what would you write in your ad if you wanted to run an ad in the Shopping Centers Today magazine? You know, I, I just, I, I run ads in the Shopping Centers Today magazine and reading this book and talking about what's your skill set or what do people know you for. I, I just created a new ad that talks about rookies. You know, do I train non-rookies? Yes. Do I coach non-rookies? Yes, but a lot of people know me for training or coaching rookies. So I just changed my ad, and I'll see, you know, what kind of reaction I get from that. But can you write an ad for your service? And he says, think different, not better. Think different, not better. So I think that that's also a great exercise. And, and then he says, start at zero. Is this a viable service? Is this what the world wants? Start at zero. Take a step back. Don't just assume, well, five other companies do it this way. This is how we're going to do it. So I'm going to stop for a second and see if anyone has uh, thoughts or comments on in any of that. Hey, Beth, it's Greg. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, the best part of the book that I got out of it was the whole positioning section. Basically, yeah. where it says you, you create a position statement for yourself. You know, who are we? What do we do? For whom do we serve? What do I need to meet? You know, what needs do I meet for them? And against whom? And what is different about what the differentiators? And then for the, this, this, and, and for the reasons being for the client experiences. And, you know, for me personally, I got, I got that resonated simply because mm -hmm. I have been working with entrepreneurs for pretty much the bulk of my real estate career. You know, and I'm working with people that have either, A, no retail experience whatsoever, or mm -hmm. have an idea but don't necessarily know how to 
get it off the ground and mm -hmm. how our properties and how our assets can help them achieve those goals. And so from a social media perspective, you know, I've kind of play I've kind of branded myself as the pop-up expert. And I'm not an expert by any means, but that's the the, the brand, I guess the quote unquote branding. And so it's how mm -hmm. we position ourselves and how we position our assets and how we position our properties and how we position our management teams. You know, what how are we doing that to serve our clients and serve our customers and serve our our um, our shoppers, our tenants, and that kind of thing. So I mean, I think it was a very it just hit very it, it hit home what exactly I'm trying to do and kind of how I'm differentiating myself within the industry and just within mm -hmm. the market and the submarkets that I'm in, so that I'm I'm top of mind when somebody's when an entrepreneur is looking to open a store, open a business, whether they open it a property of mine or not, I don't care, but I want them to talk to me first. For sure, for sure. And I, I think, yeah, those seven questions that are more later on in the book, I love that because it does kind of, you're able to take a look at that and what you do is significantly different than the, probably the rest of the people on the call or the people that are going to listen to the recording. And, um, you know, and, and the things that you're going to do or the, the skill sets that you're going to need and the services that you're going to have to provide to an, to an entrepreneur is way different than a three you know unit chain or a national you know retailer, right? Yep. So um, you know, I, I, I agree. I I love that. Now when you did the questions and did the homework, did you come up with an did you answer the question and surprise yourself? I I, I the the biggest the hardest question was me for the last one was the was the so question. And so, you know, what experiences are we trying to, you know, what does the what does the client want? What does the retailer want? And that that was always the hardest part for me. That, that's the hardest part for me because I mean that's that's part of the discovery phase of trying to it, after initial conversations and trying to under truly understand what this tenant wants. Where do they want to be in one, two, three years? Um, mm -hmm. That's that's always that's that one's the hardest one for me. But I mean the rest I was able to kind of at least have an well, answer. I, I, that it needs to be carved out. Well, I think, I mean, and I, I would think that the people need from you hand-holding and education more than anything. They do, right. And, and sometimes they probably need you to tell them that their ideas may not fly. And, and I need to know from them just to better understand what their industry is. You know, I mean, right. I, people come with new ideas all the time, and I go, wait, what is that? And, and you, just need, right. you just have to kind of pull all this stuff out that they're not necessarily know. They just assume we know, and we don't, and you know we just have to play. You know they're educating us just as much as I'm educating Are them. You, I can wait for her. Okay, I'm sure. Okay, whoever's talking to someone else, mute, mute your phone, please. So yeah, so I think um, yeah, I'm sure the first time all of us got the call that said I want to open a vape store, we were like, what's that? <laughs> so. Um, one of my favorite parts of the book was, I, I have two favorite parts of the book. I love the Picasso story. I have told the Picasso story in my career 500 times. And for those of you that didn't read the book or listen to the book, I was very happy, by the way, that it, there was an audio version. I thought because the book was sold, there wouldn't be, but there was. So I was very happy. But the Picasso story goes like this. Um, there's a woman walking down you know, the Champs-Élysées in France, in Paris, 
and she passes by a guy, and she, he, she looks at him, and she realizes it, it's Picasso. So she says, you know, you know, Mr. Picasso, could you do me a favor and do a sketch of me? So he says, sure, madame. And he, and he you know, whips out a sketch in like three minutes, and um, he, tar- she, he goes to hand it to her, and she goes, how much? And he says, you know, like $10,000 or whatever, and whatever in francs. And she goes, oh, my gosh you know, $10,000 for three minutes. You know, it only took you three minutes. And Picasso says, oh, madame, no, that's not correct. It took me my lifetime. And I, I have told people that sell services um, that story tons and tons of times because when you are starting out in a career, now in our industry, there are set fees and set percentages usually, but um, you know, for my industry, coaching and training, it's kind of all over the board, but you know, we, sometimes we take for granted or we forget you know, what, if you're a tenant rep broker and you have done you know, 400 tenant rep deals with you know, Home Depot and Michaels and Kohl's and Costco and you know, for, with tons and tons and tons of people, you're bringing that market knowledge and that retail touring expertise and experience to the table where you can charge more than the guy that's just starting out in the tenant rep world. So um, I think that that or in any service business, you're bringing your lifetime of skills and your experience to the table. So I love that story in the book. And then this go around, which I haven't read the book for 20 years, so this is new. This is you know recent for me as well. What I liked a lot, which is near the beginning of the book, was where he talks about competition, and he says in a service industry, you know, when you're not buying a product but you're selling your service, he says um, you're competing with your prospect. Your prospect is your competitor. Why is that? Because your prospect can either, one, do it themselves, or two, do nothing. And I was talking, I, was, I worked up out at my gym this morning with my trainer, and I said to him this story, I said, your competitor, you may compete with the guy down the street who's a trainer, but you're talking to a 58-year-old woman who wants to come in and get trained like I did when I first started five years ago, and your competitor is not that I might be talking to the gym down the street or the trainer down the street, and maybe I am, but really the competition he's up against is, and, and even with retailers looking for space, that mom-and-pop retailer looking for space, and they're thinking, should I hire the tenant rep broker? Or can they do it themselves, or do they just not do anything at all? And how important is having that knowledge and thinking about that prospect, those two options for that prospect, how important is that when you're trying to sell your service to them? I think that's really important. And, and, I don't, and I've never considered that. When I'm pitching my training business, certainly I know intellectually, well, they could do nothing at all or you know, the director of leasing could train them themselves. But I... But, when I'm pitching my service, I'm always thinking, you know, well, they're talking to me and they're talking to this guy. So anyone, did anyone read that and, and think, or, or if you didn't read the book, does this resonate with anybody on the call? 
Do I have any tenant rep brokers on the call? I'm curious. No. Okay. So um, then he talks about uh, execution and how important execution is, and I thought this statement was interesting. He said, it's better and more successful to execute a marginal idea passionately than to execute a brilliant idea marginally. So better, so execution, passionate execution on a marginal idea is better than marginal execution on a brilliant idea. I thought that that was very interesting. Anyone, anyone have any thoughts on that, on, on how that applies to your business or your service or skills that you're out pitching? I think, hey Beth, it's Teresa Grassoff. I think, um, I think that's a great, Hi, just a great reminder. Hi, that just for all of us, right? We can never lose the burning desire to go and rush it, whatever it is, personally, in business, whatever project it is. If you're flat, who wants to? come alongside. Right. And how about, how about that, you know, a lot of us or, or, or many people get stuck in the, well, my idea is not that good enough, right? Like it's not a brilliant idea, so why should I go execute it passionately, right, or perfectly or as, 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 as you know, enthusiastically as possible, right? Right. That's so, a, a great counterpoint, right, our, our lack of confidence. Um, in that idea. Absolutely. So if we're sitting there and we have an idea, go with your gut instinct that the idea, you know, maybe it's not going to work. It might not work, but go for it. And maybe it's not even the most brilliant idea, but you just feel that the market is asking for this. Go for it. Try it out. Do it with passion and enthusiasm. And it's better than, and, and certainly it's better than sitting on the idea. You know, I, I, I always laugh when I read a lot about people say, I had that Uber idea. I had that VRBO idea. You know, execution is nine-tenths of the law, right? It's, it's great that you had in that idea, but who actually goes and, ma and makes it happen and gets it done? Those are the ones that are successful. Even, I mean, that we, I, we didn't do the... the um, not the VRBO, but the, um, what's the other, uh, the Airbnb. That Airbnb book is pretty good. I, I kind of whipped through that on a long flight once. If you guys want just an interesting read, it's not, doesn't really have any, it has some parts to do with real estate. But how those two guys, like, almost failed 10 times before Airbnb, like, took off. Great, it's a great read. So I, I highly recommend that. Uh, they talk about, when you're trying to identify your client, you know, to know the client, the people, and making sure you understand it's about people. And they, he goes, he walks through a comparison between Carl and Sharon, two potential clients, and how the, the two are the furthest apart uh, and, and the, what their needs are and what they're thinking of is completely different. And if we, in our selling our service, are only thinking of the client, 
and being very generic about the client and not taking it a step further and realizing they're people and they have different um, desires and different interests and different needs, um, you know, we're making a big mistake. And I think that uh, some, in a lot of times our work, we do a lot of work over the phone where we rarely meet the, the people that we're doing business with. And how we should probably personalize that a little more because I think that he, he says that you will be more successful when you do that. He also talked about Sam Walton. And he said Sam Walton's motto was, go where they ain't. And he said at the time, Kmart and other department stores never didn't go to small, you know, like suburban cities. And that Walmart said, go where they ain't. And, and the, the, uh, there was another quote in the book that said, the best strategy in war, I think this came from the art of war actually, the best strategy is in war is to win without a fight. Which, you know, I, I akin this to supply and demand. You know, when I first started buying shopping centers in 2004, 2005, um, I just left Terra Nova and all of the people I knew that were buying shopping centers were these big institutions and they were buying big, you know, grocery anchored centers, you know, public anchored centers. And I, there's no way I, I could, A, I could, could, didn't have the money to compete with them, but I, I didn't want to compete with them. They were, you know, prior clients, et cetera. But I, and I knew I couldn't really compete with them. And I said, how can I, what can I do? What can I go buy that will still make me money and I can still improve the real estate and I started focusing on these smaller strip centers, which has turned out to be great for me. And now, it's, and now I go to these ICSEs and everyone's talking about, um, you know, how hot small uh, multi-tenant, you know, five-store strips are. So, um, you know, I was before the time, but I wanted to go where people were not. I, didn't, I wanted to go where there was less competition so that I could actually buy something and not compete with a bid, you know, bids of 30 different people trying to buy the same asset. So best strategy in war is to win without a fight. And so I was thinking in my head, how could this relate to like a tenant rep broker? And again, I, I don't, you know, maybe there's some on the phone, no one spoke up, but, and, and maybe we can, tr you know, transition this to project leasing as well especially if you're out and your job is to go find um, projects, you know, to get third-party listings on. So, you know, what, if, if I was, if my son said I want to go do tenant rep brokerage, um, maybe, maybe someone could go be the expert of, you know, franchise tenant rep brokerage, which I would think is very, very difficult. But what, or, or maybe you do a, folk, you know, you're focusing on I only want to represent medical or I only, if, if there's a way to succeed and, and have enough business restaurants and a rep brokerage. So what, you know, go where there isn't a throngs of other people competing for the same service and the same skill as you. So Sam Walton did it, obviously super successful. And I think, you know, how, how anyone on the call, like, and just what Greg was saying earlier, Greg is the only, I, besides, you know, the fact that I've done you know, three or four pop-ups, and I love pop-ups, 
Greg's been the only ever, the, ever the only other guy that is that I've seen on social media talking about pop pop-ups. And now I see some, you know, larger companies have started to I th see the benefit of working with an entrepreneur, like in an incubator situation. Greg, right? You've seen um, right. other larger companies say, "Hey, let's try this. Let's let's have a, a space at every center that we can advertise to and kind of use as an incubator to bring." the more unique, right, experiential retailer into our centers. But other than that new wave, you know, I haven't seen that much about pop-ups, right? No. I mean, it's, it's been not it, – it's slowly but surely getting, getting more publication and publicity, but, you know, the, a lot of landlords aren't talking about it, and, and they don't – and in some cases, they just can't get out of their own way. They, they think they're, they're – trying to share trade secrets or something like that, and then it's not what it's about. So, um, you know, we're just trying to provide value for brand new retailers and entrepreneurs because those, those people are going to be, you know, the local and small retailers of today are going to be our regional and international retailers of tomorrow. And so sure. we want, I want to nurture them now and help them grow and because they, their success will refer other successes and it will just steamroll. I mean, it's a basic sales process, and you know that's the objective. Absolutely. Anyone else on the call have any experience with doing pop-ups? Hey, Beth. This is Mike Corbett out in the West Coast. How are you? Hi, Mike. Good to good to hear all these comments. You know, we do our retail call once once every two weeks, and pop-ups. I don't know for the last year and a half have been a big push of ours. I mean, it, it's, as we all know, we're so busy that you're trying to lease permanent space, and that would still be my preference, but um, we just bought a big center in Gresham, Oregon, and that's one of our, you know, we're, we're designating a person to go out and to, to cultivate the pop-ups for all the reasons you guys just mentioned, you know, the incubation of it, the, the diversity, the local contacts with the neighborhoods and the groups, you feel like you're part of the community and they can come in and test things out. It's not all just chain stores. So it's, it's a big push for our company. And I, you know, in my world, I think it's going to be more and more prevalent all the time because of all the things that we know about retailers and how things are going to change and you're going to have vacancy. So what do you do with that vacancy? So that's just right. my two cents, my observation. I've been very successful, you know, with, you know, I've, I've only done a few in my, you know, my small portfolio of six centers, but in one center I've done, I did two pop-ups, one with the University of Miami Hurricane store, which was clothing and apparel and, you know, tchotchke stuff. He started, I got him out of a warehouse. He started in 750 square feet. He has now expanded to 2,200 square feet. He does more than a million dollars in sales in the store and half a million online. Huge success. He's 20 miles from the campus. My shopping center is 20 miles from the campus. So a uh, huge destination tenant, right? And he does a ton of special events. And, you know, there, when, when I brought him in, there wasn't a lot of TI, you know, I, I gave the, him the space as is, and I started with 1000 a month, like during the first football season. And then um, that was five years ago, and we gradu gradually graduated him up to 
he's now in a full market rent five-year deal. So um, huge success. The other one was uh, Music Academy, my son's piano teacher. I had, you know, overnight during the recession went from two vacancies to 15 and said, you know, Miss Vanessa, today is your lucky day. You always wanted to try a storefront. Uh, here's your chance. You know, take it as is. Just pay the light bill and the insurance and we'll see how it goes. She also was probably in the center about four years. She got up to about 50% of market plus, plus CAM, and then I had to in, help her find uh, another space in a flex, flex warehouse office space because she needed 5,000 square feet, and my rents were double what she could afford to pay. But she still went from no rent out of, you know, from her house into 750 square foot bay, no rent, to paying me when she left. She was at 25 triple net but my rents were 50 triple net, so I went and I tenant repped her and found her some space nearby. So, um, and, and both, and she was bringing about, I don't know, four to 500 families to my center a week. So, um, she, you know, when I'm out canvassing, wherever I am around the country, you know, I've had leasing agents where I'm out canvassing. I remember I was in Fort Worth, and I walked into a great... Um, it was like a educational toys and bookstore, phenomenal. And I'm with it, like two leasing agents from the company that I was working with, and I uh, and it was in August, like it was no, it was June, and because back to school was coming, and they're like, no, 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 we're very, very happy, and they were expanding, like the the store was overwhelmed with merchandise, and I said to the owner, um, she goes, oh, and I know, I know your center, you know, we like it, but we're good with one, and. And I said, well, did you, would you ever consider doing, you know, like a back-to-school thing? You know, do you have, the, you have the merchandise, obviously. Do you have the personnel? And, we, and my client ended up doing like a 1,000-square-foot back-to-school store where they just did like an outlet thing. And um, they ended up staying for Christmas. Um, I'm not sure whatever happened if they ever turned it into a permanent store. But the leasing agents turned to me <laughs> when I was like, oh, would you ever consider a pop-up for back to school? And they're like, our boss is never going to let you do that. But, you know, I was able to convince them, you know, convince the owner of the property, why the heck not? You've got the vacancy. You're not going to put any money in it. You know, I think we did a cam only in 500 a month for the back to school. I don't know what they ended up doing for Christmas. So, you know, look, if you're 98% lease, you don't, you don't need to do this. But as Mike just said, with the changes in retail, and look, we've all been in a very healthy economic state. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak for other places of the country, but certainly South Florida. We have had, un, you know, unbelievable good economy. Something's going to have a correction. There will be a correction, whether it's, you know, eventual rising interest rates or student loan debt or whatever it is that's going to cause it, we, were, we are going to have some vacancies. So being able to do pop-ups and bring entrepreneurs in who um, can bring the uniqueness uh, and a destination, a following. Um, I remember I was watching Shark Tank about three weeks before I was supposed to go to, I, was it Savannah? No, Athens. I was supposed to go to Athens, Georgia. There was a mall there, and I was going to do a canvassing two-day boot camp for this mall in Athens, Georgia. And I'm, you know, carm, you know, timing is everything. I'm watching Shark Tank, and I see that there's a woman that owns a, a store called uh, Little Black Dress or something like that, and, and she had a warehouse 
like 30,000 square foot warehouse where? In Athens, Georgia. And they were doing online selling of little, you know, of, of outfits for women and their sales were like $8 million. And I was calling my client going, we have to go find this warehouse when I'm in Athens. We need to let them do a pop-up in the mall or let them just do like a weekend thing because now they're on Shark Tank. They're going to get all this press. You know, this would be a great destination, you know, idea. So I think we can all get these ideas to improve our service to whether it's, you know, our, our ownership, our project, our broker, you know, our tenant rep brokers, you know, all of the services that we're providing. We can come up with creative ideas. Um, other comments before I go move on? So they, they talk, he, he, yes? No, okay. He talks about having your clients serve, you know, giving them, hiring a company to do oral surveys about your service. The, so I do know that there's a company that is a client of mine, Regency Properties in Indiana, not the Regency from Jacksonville. And they have oral surveys done to their tenants. They own, you know, a ton of shopping centers. I'm going to say maybe 100, and they have this company that ha does oral surveys to their tenants and they always win awards for being great landlords. I, I have to tell you, I'm a pretty confident person, but I'm a little insecure. <laughs> you know, but you know, you, you, we should get out of our insecurity and have you know, someone, he, he says that oral surveys are better because in print and what people write, can you know, get skewed when, one way or another. And an oral a person doing a survey over the phone can hear in, like an intonation of a voice or, or whatever. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have the confidence to do that. I, I, I think I give a pretty good service to my clients for my training. But, I, but it's in, it, you know, it, it, it does hurt your ego if you hear some bad stuff. But it, that does give you the opportunity, obviously, to improve. So has anyone on the phone ever done any kind of surveys on your service and want to share? So does anyone think that we should do that? Anyone on the phone think that this might be a good idea? I do. I think it's a great idea. Is it scary? I don't know. I guess we'll find out how, how, uh, how good or bad it could be. Um, <laughs> It's a, it's a little it's a little scary, but it's coming, and it's something that's going to hold you accountable for. You're inevitably going to improve your level of service. A hundred percent. You know, we did a, we did an event called the South Florida Independent Retailers Awards event in September, and we did we sent out surveys, and we got some really 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 great ideas, really great ideas that we're going to involve in our our next our second annual. So I do think you can get great information, but you know. I'm, you know, you guys know me. I'm pretty authentic. It's scary. It's scary, even for confident people. Um, so they talk about. He talks about in the book, what are your clients really buying, and really understanding what are they really buying, because um, what you think they're buying and what they're really buying is not does not always match up. Um, you know, I just changed accountants. I've had the same accountant for 20, 20 or so years, and 
I just didn't feel like my accountant was creative enough. I, you know, he never called and asked me any questions. I would say, hey, I read this. What do you think about this? So I asked around, and, and some friends of mine, you know, had this one woman that they really liked, and they, they, they thought she was good. So I've moved uh, my personal, my business, and one of my properties over to her. And Josie and I have had two or three phone calls with this woman, and we're just wowed at the ideas that she's coming up with and the information she's giving us. So um, in that case, you know, you, 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 you buy an accountant services, you know, for sure you want to make sure you're following IRS rules and, you know, safety and security. But there is a fine line between safety and security and conservatism, conservatism, whatever that word, conservatism <laughs> versus creativity and knowledge of the laws. So in that case, I was kind of tired with safety and security and was curious about creativity and how the new tax laws could benefit me. So understanding, you know, who is your client and what are their needs. Like Greg said, an entrepreneur who's thinking about, you know, starting a pop-up, his needs are going to be completely different than the three-store chain that some of us might be negotiating with. So, um, social media. So there's a whole section in the book that talks about being familiar. And they say that, believe it or not, even if you have bad press, so let's say someone writes something negative about you, a year or two later, when they question or they survey, do you know ABC service or DEF service? If the name was familiar, they don't remember the bad stuff that you, that you wrote about. They just remember the name. And the familiarity breeds, you know, it's kind of like elections, right? You know, how many people do you say they check the box in the ballot because they saw the name, whether it was through advertisements or through signs in the roadway, they just check a name that's familiar to them. So, the, but the question is, that's why social media is so important for our industry, because you know, if you are the name that people, that retailers see, or entrepreneurs see, they see your name, your company, your signs. There's another part in the book that they talk about. Um, what was the, how did they word this? Hold on. Uh, I thought I wrote it down. Basically they said, oh, it says don't squander a point of contact from your calls to the way your receptionist answers your calls. How many rings? Does it go to voicemail? You know, is it a service? Is it your voice? Is it enthusiastic on the voicemail? What do your business cards look at look like? How are your emails written? What, is there anything at the bottom of your emails? Um, what do your invoices look like? Don't squander a point of contact. And don't underestimate the familiarity of your name and the ease of your name and the association of your name. You know, I, I was in Washington, D.C., um, you know, those of you that know me, when we go, when I go canvassing, I say to, to you, the, the prospect doesn't care 
you know, who Beth Azor is or Azor Advisory Services. They just care that you're interrupting them, and, and I always preach, get to the point right away. Except for one time in my entire career when I was in Washington, D.C., and we were canvassing for Rappaport. Rappaport has such an unbelievable, unbelievable reputation in the Washington, D.C. market that I would say 10 stores in on our trip to visit 100 stores that day, 10 stores in I said, you know what? I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my, my, um, my uh a process in today for you guys because when we would walk in and say, hey, we're from the Rappaport company and we have shopping centers, you know, what are your expansion plans? Everyone knew and thought so well of the Rappaport company. So that, that and that's, that's oh, only yeah. happened to me once in my career. So, um, but they, and because they were so big, so, you know, they, they, they were bought monopoly in, in the area. So, but he talks about familiarity and getting your word out, and, and that's how we can do that much easier. Erin, um, I know you're on the phone. Uh, do you want to share a little bit about what we talked about yesterday uh, on your LinkedIn post and how many people read that post and what happened from that? Sure. Um, I'll do it in real time as I'm sitting in a traffic light to don't, uh, don't drive in text. But, yeah, I... Uh, uh, I posted my transition from leaving Peb last week to going out on my own, and I uh, was fortunate enough to get a lot of engagement on there. And uh, I'm actually looking right now, it's got about 30,000 views, so pretty exciting for me as I start my business and try to build a, a brand within, the, within our sector. And uh, because you were kind enough to like and comment on there, someone who you have a nice relationship, reached out and asked if uh, I was looking for, for funding for, for any of my deals, which I'm obviously open to having conversations whenever and however. And as a matter of fact, I, I am looking for investors for income-producing properties uh, whenever those do come up and, and make sense for, for, for what I'm trying to accomplish. And uh, that led to a pretty quick follow-up with, with your relationship, who in turn, he and I just talked and were meeting this weekend. And uh, for whatever it's worth, I, I think I would I would have a, a very tough time spending his money if I tried. So uh, <laughs> obviously forever grateful for you on that, and uh, that certainly wouldn't have happened if a I didn't post on LinkedIn and b uh, you didn't you didn't engage on there by commenting or, or liking or both or whatever you did. So uh, thank you for that, and uh, it, it's it's very real that if you put yourself out there, uh, people will will react and. and and it hasn't just been the, the gazillionaires, you call him, that I'm speaking to. It's been retailers that I've never done deals with that are reaching out and saying, wow, it's so encouraging you're taking a leap of faith. Like, let me know what projects you're working on, and maybe, maybe you know, we're growing there. And these are retailers I've never – I don't even know these people's names. It was, it was very – it was awesome. It's, it's been really cool. Well, right, and I think – look, I, I will say this for, you know, in response to your post – so you didn't do the obligatory, hey, I'm leaving Peb, I'm not going out on my own, right? You went on, you went on and on, right? You said, I know you guys might think it's risky, and, you know, you were authentic and original, and, you know, it might be scary, and I hope I'm not making a mistake, but I've been wanting to do this, you know, forever. And so that's the thing that got people's attention. And that's what I talked about at the beginning of this call. Social media is not to advertise. You know, you've got to have some – it's like doing business with people. 
So I I would have never thought to call my friend and say, hey, my other friend Aaron is going out on his own, is going to look for money. I never would have thought to call him. He texted me and said, hey, I just saw this post from this kid. You know, you, you, know, you commented, you obviously know the kid. Should I give him money? <laughs> so, so, but it, I don't think if you would have done your obligatory, hey, thanks, Pep, for all these years. Everyone, this is my new address. But you added so much color. And any of you that haven't done social media or are dabbling with social media, look Aaron Zucker up and see his post because you went on and on and showed your true personality, right? You showed that you were a person and that you had some fears. And I think that's what resonated with the 30,000 people that viewed it, really. Thank you. So Thank you. we all – and I think that – you know, when I post my videos, like three people, I've been, I've, I've had a holiday party every night this week. It's just the time of the year, which is, you know, we're blessed. I'm blessed to be invited, but a bunch of people like, I really like you walking the dog videos. Yeah. So you know, and I, like I remember one one person said, I remember the one that you couldn't turn off the video. I'm like, yes, user error. The dog was pulling me. My phone wasn't, you know. But um, I think people really like hearing from people and seeing that they're real people and it's not this social media should not I don't think should be used as a platform to advertise um, or, or maybe it's content 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 and then advertising and you know the Gary Vaynerchuk jab 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 right hook um, 1219 so uh, the, he also talks about um, intelligent people killing ideas you know if you're very, very intelligent um, those are the people that kill creative ideas. So I encourage all of you, if you are around brilliant people and you have a good instinct and you have a good idea and someone smarter than you like kind of squashes the idea, think about this statement. I thought, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, if there's, no, if there's limited downside, frickin' go for it is what I think. Um, texting. Uh, so... Uh, so Grant Cardone, who's a guy that I follow, I think I've posted this a few times, but you know, he talks about, the, in this book, he talks about the recency effect. Recent. Like, who was the last person you talked to? Or if you're going to give a pitch, you want to, give the, you want to be the last person to do the pitch. Because supposedly there's a recency effect. I'm liking that too. Um, and I had a debate, for those of you on the call that know Paco Diaz, I was at this party the other night, and he and I were arguing over this. You know, never use text. Never use text. It's so unprofessional. And Grant Cardone, who's, by the way, a gazillionaire, another gazillionaire, says, um, you know, in the U U.S., we have such a problem with follow-up. You know, no one follows up. And retailers tell me that about Lisa Gaither, which, of course, I didn't believe until it happened to me myself. So... What he says is, what Grant says, and what Paco said, forget it, don't do it, but we're doing it, Karen and I are doing this, is if you get a call in on a property and you're on the phone and, you know, half of us are driving, right, we're talking, um, yeah, the space is 1,200 square feet, it's 30 bucks a square foot, the cam is blank, whatever. And the guy goes, okay, I'll drive by and see it. Um, you know, what Karen and I have been doing is pulling over on the side of the road Hint, hint, quote, haha, and then texting the guy right back because the guy's calling from his mobile. And, like, you can say to the guy or the girl, um, is this your mobile number? I'll text you the information so you have it, right? 
so you pull over to be safe, and then you, type, you text back the, the guy, hey, Bill, just hung up with you. Um, just to confirm, the rent is $30 plus cam. The space is 1,200 square feet. I'm going to be at, and then this is the pitch. I'm going to be at the property tomorrow at 3 o'clock if you want to come by and see it. Kara and I, since Kara and I started doing this in the last 45 days, it's improved our showings by about 30%. And I would have told you 45 days ago, never text. That how unprofessional. Well, I believe that Cardone is right. And the intimacy of the text, the fact that you're following up immediately after the call-in, um, it's just it's been working for us. So, you know, Paco says I'll never do it. It's so unprofessional, and he's you know you know one of our rock star brokers down here. I respect that. He's you know he also said I'm 72 years old and I'm not going to change. So I'm 58. I'm still going to try to change. So it's working for us. I, I encourage some of you to try it and let me know um, what you think, if, that, if it's working for you. I'm going to, okay, 12.22, I have three more minutes. Um, oh, I love this. Leverage the position you have. He talks about Avis and Hertz. So Hertz was number one, Avis was number two. He said in, instead of trying to beat the competition who's kind of like, got it you know, cemented in that they're number one. Avis created a program that said, hey, we're number two, but we're tr and we're trying harder. And that the year that they came out with that branding campaign, they blew the socks off of the revenues of, of Hertz. Um, when I was young in, at Terranova and we were doing tenant reps, the big kahuna in our industry back then, and there weren't a lot of bigger firms, was the shopping center group. My, fan, my friend Ann Featherston, was there and did you know the big the big boys? Well, we we leveraged that that relationship. We were very close, and we said, look, any time you guys get a call that if, if you're representing Home Depot and you get a call for Lowe's, send them to us. Leverage the position you had. We were the backup. We ended up getting Lowe's. We ended up they were doing Toys R Us, so we got Baby Superstore. We ended up getting you know we would get the competition of the people that they couldn't do. So we, we leveraged the position we had. We weren't going to go compete head-to-head -head against them. They were way bigger. They had been doing it a lot longer. So we, we said, give us your throwaways. And we were able to build a business around that. So think about that. And then the last thing in the book that I loved was the whole idea of American Express versus MasterCard. So he says, you know, MasterCard's accepted in many more places than American Express. MasterCard, you can pay when you want. You don't have to pay it all at once. And MasterCard charges $20, and American Express charges $55. However, you know, 25 million people have American Express cards because of the branding. Uh, membership has its privileges, and it's thought of as more—I um, uh, don't know—whatever uh, the word is, higher end or whatever. Prestigious. Prestigious. Thank you so much. So. Um, these kind of stories, what I love about reading is these kind of stories, if you take 10 minutes when you're driving in the car to turn off the music and not look at your phone and think about that. Think about person and Think about American Express and MasterCard. And does that or how does that relate in your business? Because these are stories that we all can learn from. And maybe it's some crazy silly idea that leads to another crazy silly idea that leads to a brainstorming idea. 
But we have, but, you know, but we have to read, and then we have to take what we read and, and kind of just sit on an idea and listen to it and see it, if it does anything and adds to you know, what we do for a business. I've enjoyed the year. I hope you guys have enjoyed the year. Um, we have uh, the book for January is a book that um, do I have it here. My friend um, from Bricksmore gave it to me, Brian Finnegan. He gave it to me at the New York ICSE last week. The book is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I've started reading it. I like it. Um, and I, you know, it talks about obstacles, which we all have, objections in our business. So I am going to ask Josie to send out uh, SurveyMonkey just about the book club. What do you like? What do you don't like? You know, give us some recommendations. I'm curious as to what was the best book of the year versus what was the worst book of the year. And um, you know, I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday. Thank you so much for participating. I think we had a great time. And I look forward to next year. And uh, buy my book. <laughs> Merry Thank Christmas. Thank you, Beth. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Thank you.